Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. As you're thinking about filling out that QR code, uh, we had uh, an older elementary age student last week fill out one of the cards, and her comment was, I'm going to keep coming and coming to this church. And so if you don't know what to write on your, your code, just write, I'm going to keep coming and coming to this church. We loved that comment last week. Hey, before we get into the message, uh, two quick things I need to say to you. Welcome to those who are joining us online, uh, but just two quick updates. Uh, one is on our renovation project. We, we talked a lot about that at Christmas, haven't mentioned it in a while, and what, the main reason is with construction projects right now, we're just having to get in line, you know, behind all of the the, the engineers, and we'll, we'll have to get in line again behind contractors and subs and ordering equipment. So I just want to let you know, we didn't forget about that. We, we haven't shelved that project. We're just waiting in line. About two weeks ago, uh, the engineers came out and toured our building. So they're getting started on construction docks right now. But it's going to be a little bit of that get in line and wait, get in line and wait. Thank you for your response. We're, uh, we, we topped the $150,000 mark on our Christmas offering. And, and I, I think we topped the $160,000 mark here just recently. So thank you for your investment. Um, there's probably still a little bit of a gap between what we can access and uh, what it's going to cost to finish the project. We'll have a better idea of that once we get the construction docks done and uh, we're able to start talking to some contractors and subs. So that's where that is. It's moving. It's in process. We're just kind of in line and taking steps along the way. Second thing I want to mention, next Sunday night, 5 o'clock, really important evening for our church. Uh, we're going to be able to uh, ordain Ian Snell, uh, to ministry, and this will be the first time we've done this at, at Journey, uh, but um, ordination, and I'll explain this more next Sunday night, but it's a setting apart of someone that we've been able to watch, and we believe God is calling that person into full-time ministry and service for the Lord, and that we have seen the gifts and the, the spiritual maturity necessary for that calling, and so next Sunday night as a church, uh, we're going to pray around Ian. We're, we're going to celebrate him. I'll walk us through kind of the details of what does this mean? What are we doing here? And I want to invite you to come back as his church. Certainly want the students to be here who are a part of his ministry, the families that are a part of his ministry. But, but we're ordaining Ian as a church. The elders and our whole church, we're saying we believe God has his hands on this young man and is going to use him into the future. So you are all invited next Sunday night, 5 o'clock, be a very special evening for our church and certainly for Ian and Lily. Okay, we're, we're talking about talking about comebacks, um, and we all have to make comebacks. Maybe you like sarcastic comebacks. That's not the comeback we're talking about. We're talking about facing a difficult time, a struggle, a challenge, and then having to get on the other side of that. And what does that look like? Ian mentioned we kind of kicked it off last week by saying Jesus had the comeback of all comebacks, right? He comes back from the grave. He conquers our biggest challenge, ultimately our eternal challenge, is that we're separated from God by our sin. Jesus conquers that, right? He makes it possible for us to be forgiven, to, to have heaven as our eternal home and life to the fullest in this earthly home. He has already conquered the greatest challenge that you and I will ever face. At the same time, he doesn't just conquer that one eternal challenge and then walk away and leave us to deal with all the rest. 
Like the power that brings Jesus back from the resurrection is at work in us. He gives us strength and hope and ability to come back from the struggles that you and I face. And he knows that we're going to face them. That's, that's one of the things God knows about you and about me is that we're going to face difficult times and some of those difficult times are going to be of our own making. There's a really honest, authentic verse. All of the verses in the Bible are honest and authentic. But there's like a real revealing one about who we are in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. Let me read it for you. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. Like it's a beautiful thing anytime we talk about the compassion of God for us, his mercy towards us, his grace towards us. But Psalm 103 tells us one of the reasons he has compassion for us, and it's because he knows us. He knows how we're made. He knows our makeup. And specifically, it says he knows we're dust, we're weak. We don't have it all together. He doesn't say, God loves you because you're steel, you're so strong, you're titanium, you're a force to be reckoned with, God loves you. for No, he says, God feels for you because he knows you're pretty weak. He knows there are areas in your life, you're dust, your makeup is dust, and God knows that about us, and his compassion moves towards us, especially when that dustiness shows up in us when that weakness shows up in us, when that lack of strength shows up in us. He's compassionate. We aren't perfect. We're not going to get it right every time. We, we saw last week that God upholds those who fall. It is in our weakness that God gives us strength. Paul finds this out in the New Testament, right? When I'm weak, I'm strong. God shows up more than I can do. I, I am not strong enough to be my own strength. God shows up in those moments. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at some specific opportunities for us to make a comeback for God to show up in our lives. We're going to look at coming back from failure today. We're going to look at coming back from grief next week and then coming back from disappointment in the third week, but, but today we're looking at coming back from failure. Each of these, I, I'm going to suggest, has a, uh, um, a particular challenge to them. When it comes to failure, the particular challenge that we have to wrestle through and deal with is, it was my fault and I'm responsible. We're, we're talking about the kind of failure, the only kind there is, it's my fault. I failed at something. Not somebody failed me, that, that happens. We're talking about our failure, and the challenge with failure is we can't blame anybody else. We, we can't brush it off on anybody else. The challenge with failure is it's my fault. Now, that's not to say we don't try to blame other people, right? We go to great lengths sometimes to try to avoid responsibility for our own Failures to find some justification, to, to convince ourselves, to convince other people. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it, or, or it's somebody else's. It's their fault, right? They made me do it. 
it's my parents' fault. It's the way they raised me. It's, they neglected me. They did what? It's their, it's my spouse's fault. It's my boss's fault. We try to find ways to shift responsibility away from ourselves onto somebody else when it comes to failure or to just pretend it's not that big a deal. Like, do we have to keep talking about this? Can we just get over it? It wasn't that big of a deal. Nothing really happened. It wasn't really a failure. We have, we have all these ways of justifying our own failures. Um, if you have kids, have you ever walked into a room where your kid, kid or kids have been, and only they have been. No one else has been in this room for the last hour, and you walk in and it's destroyed. Right? Stuff everywhere, broken pieces, crayon markers on the wall, nice new pictures added to the wall, and, and you reflexively say, Who did this? And your children all say, It was me, Father. I am disappointed in myself for what I have done, the mess I have made. Can you ever forgive me? Now your kids don't say that. Your kids just look at you. And they go, as if to say, Father, I have no idea who did this. I was just noticing it myself. Who could have done this? Maybe we put our heads together. We can figure this out. I <laughs> Our kids don't admit things. Even when you, you call them, even if you watch them, if, even if you have a video monitor in the room and you know it's them, they're not confessing. It's like they're training for the mafia or something. They're not going to squeal on anybody. Now, our kids are that way. When it comes to responsibility for failures, we're, we're sometimes that way. Like, I, don't, I don't know who did this. It's not my fault. I don't, know, I don't know what happened. It's, it's really their fault. They started it. Like we're all big six-year-olds when it comes to failure. Well, they started it. Right? If they hadn't said what they said, then I wouldn't have said what I said. If they hadn't done what they did, then I would not have felt it necessary to do what I did. All of these ways to take blame and responsibility for our failure and shift it somewhere anywhere else but with me here's the thing the path to a comeback from failure it goes right through responsibility the path to a comeback from my own failure goes right through admitting yeah that was that, that was that was my fault or say it another way own your part in the failure. You want to come back from failure? Own your part. It may not all be your fault. But whatever part is your part, own that part. This is an absolutely necessary step in the process of coming back from failure. Here's why. We can't come back from a failure that we won't admit. We can't come back from a failure that we won't admit. We've discussed before, we, we, we live in an environment of the non-apology apology. Right? I'm sorry if you took that the wrong way. I'm sorry if you misunderstood. I'm sorry if you didn't realize I was joking. It's the non-apology apology, which really shifts blame to you. 
I'm sorry that you didn't know better. I'm sorry that you didn't figure it out. The problem, of course, is you can't learn anything from a non-apology apology approach to failure. You can't grow. You can't change. You can't be better. The Bible talks about this in terms of repentance, right? That's the Bible word for turning away from something that I did wrong, failing in a, in a sinful relationship to God sort of way. The Bible calls this repentance. I have to turn away from what I've been doing wrong, but I can't turn away from something that I won't admit was wrong. I mean, there can't be repentance Unless I agree with God, right? That's part of repentance. I agree with God. This was wrong. I chose to do it. It was my fault. We can't excuse and deny and blame. Instead, we need to say in the words of Taylor Swift, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me, right? There's ownership. Not them. They didn't make me do it. I made the decision. Now, we'll just real quickly say, don't own more than your part, right? Just kind of give you the other side of the coin. Don't own, own more than your part. A, a, a lot of us, we certainly, probably most of us, we try to excuse and deny, at least at first. But some of us, like really guilty conscious, those among us, we take blame for everything that's happened. Now, everything may not be your fault. You don't have to own everybody else's part in it, but you and I have to be very specific about our part in it. This is, this is the part I bear responsibility for. I can't and shouldn't take responsibility for everybody else's part. I can't make anybody take responsibility for their part. I can just take responsibility for my part. Jesus specifically helped someone come back from failure in the New Testament. We celebrated Easter last Sunday. Um, Jesus dies. He rises again. Um, prior to his crucifixion, you'll you remember this, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, you're all going to fall away from me. You're all going to deny me. You're, you're, you're all going to run scared for your lives. You're all going to fall away. And Peter, like one of his closest friends and followers, says, whoa, 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 not me. Not me. Jesus, I will die for you. These other guys, they'll run away. Not me. These losers, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. Like, I'm sticking with you, Jesus. And then most of you know the story. Jesus is arrested. The pressure, the stress, the heat gets turned up. And what does Peter do? One, two, three. Don't know who you're talking about. Never met the guy. Don't. And the third time, Jesus looks right at him and says, told you. Right? That's kind of the unspoken word between Jesus and Peter. I, I, I told you this was coming. There's no excusing it at that point. There, there's no thinking that maybe Jesus didn't see it. It happened. And it's probably happened for all of us. It's probably happened for all of us. If you're, if you're very old at all, it's happened to me. The thing that I said I wouldn't do, I did. The thing that bothered me the most about somebody else, and I would say, well, this is just terrible, the way they do that, I would find it in my own life. The thing that I told people, you shouldn't do, 
saw it showing up in my own life. This is, this is Peter. He said he wouldn't, and he did. And now there's this weight of, of failure. There's this weight of guilt. Jesus rises again. Between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, we call it, Jesus goes back to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. Between those two days, those, the, those 40 days in between, uh, Jesus has to wrap up all the loose ends, right? He's got to see the people he needs to see, talk to the people he needs to talk to, you know, clarify, okay, now this is what I've been talking about, and here's what it means. Here's what I want you to do going forward. He has all of these agenda items that he wants to attend to, and yet he gives a half a day a day to Peter to help him come back. This is that important. Peter coming back from this personal failure was that important. Listen, here's why it was important. Failure can crush us. Failure can crush us. That thing we thought we would never do, that thing we said we weren't going to do, it can crush it. It crushed Peter. Like you see him after that moment and just how deflated he is. It was so important that Jesus says, this has to get addressed because if we don't handle it carefully, failure has the ability to impact what's going to happen next. It's, it's that weighty. It's, it, it has the potential to crush us that much, especially in the most important areas of our lives especially in the most important areas of our lives. Chances are there's some here that handle failure fairly quickly and easily. It just kind of rolls off your back. But I would guess when it happens in the most important area of your life, it feels different to you. When you hurt the people that you love the most, which is what happens to Peter, when you hurt the people that you love the most because of your failure, it's not quite as easy to let go of. This is the situation that Peter finds himself in. Now, here's the danger. Our failures in the past have the power to limit our potential in the future. Our failure in the past, if we, if we don't deal with them, either because we're going to keep making that failure or because we're not going to learn from that failure or because we're going to carry around the guilt of that failure going forward. If we don't walk through it, if we don't process through it, if we don't get clarity on what God says about our failure, it's going to have the potential to rob us of what God wants to do in our future. Not long after Jesus meets with Peter, in the story we're going to discuss, Peter's preaching on Pentecost Sunday. He's preaching boldly. 3,000 people come to know Christ. The church, the New Testament church, us, we're birthed in that moment. Uh, uh, nations of people, various uh, ethnic groups, various cultural groups, people from different cultures, people who spoke different languages are hearing the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes, and Peter's just dynamically preaching the gospel. Would Peter have been this confident if he's still carrying around that guilt from before? I, I doubt it. 
I doubt it. We read the book of Acts and we see Peter's bold leadership in the early church. We, we see him boldly share the gospel and preach the gospel in really hard places. Is that boldness still there if he doesn't receive Christ's forgiveness on the beach that day? I doubt it. John chapter 21, that's where we're going to be. Peter and a few of the other disciples go fishing. They fish all night. Some of you know the story. They fish all night. They're coming back in. There's a guy on the beach who says, did you catch anything? Which is the last thing you want to be asked when you don't catch anything. Did you catch anything? And they say, no. And the guy says, well, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they throw the net on the other side of the boat. And there's so many fish, they can't get them all in. And that's when they realize it's Jesus on the beach and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore to Jesus and here's where the story picks up John 21 verse 9 when they landed okay they got to the beach they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread Jesus said to them bring some of the fish you have just caught so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore it was full of large fish 153 but even with so many the net was not Torn, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast, right? Get you a Messiah that cooks you breakfast, right? Isn't that awesome? They show up hungry, and Jesus, Jesus has the fire already going. Um, so many things I love about this moment. One is that Jesus is still caring for the needs of the people that he loves. He's still seeing what they need, and he's stepping into that need. Even for, for Peter, Jesus still enjoys a good meal with his friends. I just love this part of Jesus. And the fact that Jesus was patient in addressing Peter's failure. He was patient. This is not the first time Jesus has appeared to the disciples. Uh, he appears in an upper room. Uh, maybe you remember that. This is when Thomas put his hand on Jesus, and Jesus said, look here, come, come and touch. I'm real. Thomas had kind of questioned things. And so he's already appeared to the disciples, and Jesus didn't rush right in to address this failure. Right? Jesus didn't show up the first time and say, Peter, I need to talk to you about something. That's a pretty good lesson if you're dealing with people who have failure in their life. Maybe driving right in there is not the right approach. I get it. You can't delay forever. That's a mistake as well. But Jesus is giving this some time. Jesus realized Peter's tired. Peter's hungry. Now let's, let's eat first, and then we'll pull over to the side, and he and I will have a conversation about what's uh, going on uh, in Peter's life. And yet the conversation needed to happen. It needed to happen, and, and it does happen. Interesting thing about this conversation is Jesus doesn't mention the specific failure that we know of from John's telling of the story. He doesn't say, hey, you remember when you denied me three times, but all throughout the story, there's little reminders that, that no doubt took Peter's mind back to that moment so that Jesus could help him walk through it even the fact that there was a there was a fire my my translation says it was a a fire of burning coals a coal fire charcoal uh fire coal fires have a really strong smell really really strong smell i have a coal smoker at home and whenever i cook on it uh, i smell like smoke 
from my hair to my clothes to my skin. Everything smells like smoke when I'm done. It stays with you. It, it, it gets in you. Uh, Peter shows up, and this, this fire is burning. In the New Testament, a coal fire is mentioned two times. Here, the other time is the night that Peter denied Jesus. If you remember, they're standing around a coal fire when P Peter starts getting asked these questions. And Peter gets on shore, and his mind goes back. Why, why do I think that? Our sense of smell um, is the strongest trigger for memories of all of our senses. This, this has been studied. The sense of smell is a, a, a stronger trigger of memories than pictures are, than, than visuals are. They think that's because the place where the sense of smell gets processed in our brain is the same place that our emotions and memories get processed. They're all right in there together, which is why you can smell something and it reminds you of your grandmother's house or, that other, or your childhood home or the school you went to in elementary school. Right? Good smell, bad smell, it, neutral smell. Smells have this way of triggering memories. Peter shows up. Two times a coal fire is mentioned, one when he denied Jesus and one when he shows up on the shore. And, and that gets triggered, right? His mind goes back to that night. Here's the truth about failure. When it comes to failure, we must go back before we can go forward. We got to go back before we can go forward. We can't dismiss it. Sometimes we want to do that. Can we just not bring that up again? Can we just not think about that again? And yeah, we shouldn't think about it on and on and on forever, but if we've never revisited, if never been there, if we've never worked through it, we've got to go back. And Jesus takes Peter back, not just with the fire, but in the story, Jesus, Peter, uh, Jesus asked Peter the same question three times, once for each of his denials. Here's, here's how it happens. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John... Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's go back three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Then let's walk through it. Um, Jesus, I, I think, is moving Peter from denial to love. Let's go back, but let's not stay back. Right, let's revisit. This is not... This is not a way to make Peter feel guilty. This is a, a way to move Peter forward. Right? The conviction of God, this is a word that we use, is different from guilt in that guilt is just shame. It's just making me feel terrible for what happened. Conviction is God saying, look, let's go back. Let's learn some things, and then let's move forward. Conviction is always wanting to, to point us forward. So failure is an opportunity to change and grow. It's an opportunity, yes, to revisit a hard moment, but from that hard moment to learn some things. What am I going to do different next time? How am I going to be different 
next time? Uh, 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 what are the habits and patterns that need to change before next time? Are there some relationships that I need to change before next time? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? Let's revisit it, not to feel guilt and shame. Let's revisit it so that we can, we can grow. Look, no one wants to fail. None of us. No one wants to fail, but when we do, Jesus offers an opportunity to, to grow. Even in Jesus' question, he's sort of taking Peter back. Do you love me more than these? Remember what happened earlier? Peter said, oh, I'm better than these suckers. Like, they're, they're sorry. They're terrible. You know, I am more committed to you. I'll die for you, Jesus. And Jesus just said, so you still mean that? You, you still think that's kind of what you ought to say? Do you love me more than these? And notice Peter doesn't say, oh, I love you more than these. He just says, yes, I love you. You you know that I love you. There is, in in his reflection on that failure, there was this sense of humility that begins to grow in Peter. You look at this conversation. It's not the arrogant Peter, I'm better than everybody else. I'm more committed than everybody else. It's Peter who has walked through failure and has come out on the other side with a more humble perspective of himself and of the world around him. Failure humbles us and, and, and can give us wisdom and maturity. It, it humbles us. Sometimes in the worst of ways. Sometimes in ways we don't want to be humble, but maybe we needed to be humbled. And, and we see this, this Peter product on the other side of his failure who's, who's much more humble than he was that, that night. He's gained some wisdom. He's gained some clarity. He's, he's gained some maturity. Also, the comeback from failure... If we're willing to walk through it, if we're willing to let Jesus deal with it in our hearts, the comeback from failure gives us the chance for, for a fresh start. Gives us a chance for a fresh start. We, we can't change the past. We can't undo the past as much as we would like to. We can't make that go away, but we can start again. We, we, we can have a fresh beginning. In, in, in this story, there are echoes of the beginning of Jesus' relationship to Peter. Jesus giving them this miraculous catch of fish, not the first time that that happened. You remember the other time that happened? The day that Peter became a follower of Jesus. Like the first time Peter surrendered to follow Jesus, exact same miracle. They're out in the water, they catch nothing. Jesus, who they didn't really know, is on the, the beach and says, throw you now on the other side. They pull in a huge catch of fish. And, and it, it's, it's like Jesus is rewinding the tape, saying, hey, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to who we were at the beginning. Jesus calls Peter, not Peter, in this interaction. John says he calls him Simon, son of John, which is his original name. If you know the, the, the progression, Jesus changes Peter. Peter's name to Peter, and there's reasons for that. Jesus doesn't use his change the name. He uses the name that he used when he first met him. Again, as if to say, we can start again. We can have a fresh beginning. At one point in this conversation, Jesus even says to Peter in verse 19, follow me. 
follow me? Where does that come from? When Jesus first called his disciples, how did he call them? Follow me. There is these echoes of the beginnings of their relationship, the beginnings of Peter's commitment to Jesus. And it's Jesus' way of saying, hey, let's start again. We can't start over. Like We can't make the failure go away. We're not pretending it didn't happen, but we can start again. We can start from here. We can move forward from here. We can be forgiven. We can let go of that. We don't have to carry the guilt and shame. We can start again from here. Let's start again. One last thing. Once you've worked through the failure, focus on the future. Once you've worked through the failure, focus on the future. We don't go back to the failure to stay there. We let God teach us what he needs to teach us. We let, we let failure humble us in the way that we need to be humble. We learn, we grow, we change, we mature. But in Jesus' conversation, he doesn't just keep alluding to the past. He says, okay, go feed my sheep now. Okay, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. In other words, Peter, there's so much more for you in the future. Like, I have so much more for you to do. I'm calling you forward. We're not just going to look back. We're going to deal with that. We're going to own that. We're going we're to work through it. We're going to learn from it. We're going we're to mature and, and, and be humbled by it. But ultimately, Peter, this is so you have a future. This is so you can be who I've called you to be in the future. Jesus is still that way with us. Jesus is still that way. What do you need to come back from? What is the failure in your life that you need to come back from? Later on in this conversation, Peter would say, hey, what about John? Right. And Peter goes, uh, John, Jesus says, don't worry about John. I'm talking to you. And as we're, as we're coming to a close here, the band's gonna come back out and, and sing over. So we're coming to a close. Don't ask about anybody else. Don't think about anybody else. Anybody else's failure. How anybody has failed you. That's real. That's real. That's not where we are today. Just, just what about you? Not, not John. Not them. Not those. Just what about you? What, what is that thing that, that the guilt, you just it's, it's in the back of your mind. You've been carrying it around. And Jesus is saying, come on, let, hand it over to me. Let's start again can't change it there may still be consequences because of it it's still going to be there but you can start again you can start again you can walk with me the same peter the same jesus that was on the beach that day with peter is here for you he's here for you and he's saying hey do you love me do you still love me maybe you're not sure if you love me better than anybody else you love me then come on but let's go forward. I'm going to pray. The, the band's going to come out and lead us in worship. And maybe there's somebody here, and you just need to come leave it down here. Come leave, just symbolically. There's nothing magical about down here, but and for some of us, maybe symbolically, this would be the moment we say, I'm going to give this to you. And maybe there's still some work I need to do on it, but 
I'm going to believe that you forgive me. I'm going to believe that I can start again with you. Then do that. Do that. I'll pray with you if you want me to pray with you. God, we ask that you would come and, and stir our hearts. Oh, we know it's true. Failure can just crush us. We can be down on ourselves. We can carry guilt and shame. And, and yet you showed us in this interaction that that's not for us to bear. Yes, we are to confess. We are to admit it. We're to turn away from it. We're to own it. But we're not to live in it for the rest of our lives. You have a future for us, and we want to step into that future, but we've got to receive the forgiveness for the past in order to do that. And if there's somebody here who needs to do that, God, help them to hand that over to you. Whatever failures there are in the past, help them to hand that over to you. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.